It's Bet to Win on a Monday here from Blue Wire Studios at the Win Las Vegas. I'm your host, Joe Fan. Hope you all had a tremendous weekend. Game sevens galore between the NBA and the NHL. We've got Channing Fry here on the show today to be our guest. And I've, I can't wait to talk to him because he is a stud. He's an NBA champion, uh, NBA TV analyst, also on the Road Tripping Podcast with Richard Jefferson and Allie Clifton. I love talking ball with this dude. It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, back in... You know, it was probably a year plus ago when I was working for NBC Sports Northwest. He hosted a Blazers podcast with NBC Sports Northwest, along with Channing. Uh, he is Channing Fry, along with Dan Sheldon. Um, and I got to go on, chop it up with him, and talk ball. And I'm just a huge fan of his, so really pumped to have him on the show. We're going to recap all of the conference semis and preview the conference finals. Down to four: Heat, Celtics, Warriors, Mavs in the West. But first, before we get to Channing, I've got a victory. Lap, I've won five of my last, sorry, six of my last seven winning picks here on this here show. Last Thursday, I took Heat money line at the Sixers, a little plus money underdog winner. That was at plus 115. The Heat uh, won that game running away. I can't wait to ask Channing about the Sixers and in particular, James Harden, because to no surprise, uh, in the postseason, in a do or die game, James Harden absolutely shrunk didn't score a second half point in that game. The Heat move on to play the Boston Celtics game one of that series on Tuesday. So let's bring him in. Let's not waste any more time. Again, longtime NBA vet, NBA champ with the Cavs back in 2016, an NBA TV analyst, founder of Chosen Family Wines, and the co-host of the Road Tripping Podcast with Richard Jefferson and Ali Clifton on the Blue Wire Network of Podcasts. Follow him on Twitter at Channing Fry. Channing, thanks so much. That's a it's a long bio, man. You got a lot going on. So grateful for you here joining us uh, on Bet to Win. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, man. This is an awesome time to have you on the show because the dust has settled from the conference semis uh, and the stage is set for what should be a couple really fun series in the conference finals. Before we get to Celtics Heat and Mavs Warriors, I want to talk about the four teams that lost in the conference semis and just kind of put a bow on their season. Let's start with the Suns who got blown out in home, at home on Sunday in Game 7. I don't think anybody saw that coming, especially given that this game was going 7, but the average margin of victory uh, was over 17 points per game, and every home team had won every game. Uh, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker combined for just 26 points. They lay an egg. How demoralizing is that for a Suns team that just won a franchise record 64 games during the regular season? Well, I think... You know, you, you don't want to be a, a trapped in a moment, right? So obviously they had a really good regular season. Uh, but that's not what that organization wants, knowing James Jones and having played for Monty Williams. Um, and, and they have some really good young players. But to get beat like that in that moment at home, to me, I'm more what's going to happen with that locker room. Because that's a locker room. That's a... You're not prepared, nor do you want to win that game. Now, that's probably people are going to get mad at me for saying that word want, but you don't get beat by 40. You don't let one person outscore your team. Something happened in this series where the Phoenix Suns lost all swag. Maybe that was, you know, you started to see it, and I thought it was absolutely ingenious by Jason Kidd to go, well, Chris Paul's the head of the snake. I'm just going to attack the head of the snake. Now, if anybody else can't eat, then, you know, we're going to win this series. 
And Jalen Brunson was posting him up. Uh, you know, Spencer Dimway was posting. Everybody was just going at him. And you were just like, for some for a defense that is top five in the league, you just saw them crumble because they were like, man, you're you're a, a problem for us right now. You're not scoring. He's not aggressive. He's fouling out. And then on the other end of the floor, you're not giving us anything. And we're on rotations all game. So we can't double Luca. We can't double Brunson. We can't double because then they have free shooters. So that I thought, you know, just absolutely broke the Suns. Uh, but not to be a, a, you know, again, captured in the moment. You got to look. What do you do with DeAndre Ayton? Like, you know, he wants the max. Uh, he's a really, really, really good player. But is that, you know, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Uh, you know, at the end of the season, then you look. What do you do with Chris Paul? What do you do with Jake Crowder? What do you do with your bench? Like, how do you build on that? It's just such a weird ending. Uh, I want to. I want to see what happens this summer. Uh, with that locker room is really what I'm more interested in. Yep. So Pat Bev goes viral on Monday morning, goes on ESPN's first <laughs> take it. and absolutely <laughs> flames Chris Paul and the Suns. Nobody's yeah. scared of the Suns. I talked to Paul George last yeah. night and we were talking about no one's scared of the Suns. Chris Paul's a traffic cone, which all leads me to the question of Chris Paul had a tremendous season. He had a tremendous game one and two, but then he obviously was gassed down the stretch. You mentioned the uh, the matchups offensively that the, the Mavs are able to exploit going at him uh, as a defender. Is CP3 still a dude that you can say, hey, we're building our team around him? At what point is, is he get to the point where it's like he's just a role player now? He's not the dude, the, the big two or the big three in that sort of a conversation headlining act. I think it's been that. I think we're underestimating how good Devin Booker is. but I think. Chris Paul is a extremely smart, veteran, savvy role player. But his role is to get everyone the ball, to control the pace of the game, to play it. Now, he's had some amazing games, but Chris Paul is on the other side, especially for guards, right? The way the other side. Now, what he's done is absolutely amazing, but what you're starting to see is the younger guards are going to start going at him, especially when they have that now, Dallas is wildly unique because when you look at them, they almost have five guys who are 6'9", you know, 3 and D guys. So if it wasn't, you know, Brunson picking him up, you know, it was Dorian Finney-Smith or it was someone else or Bullock. or So that's like a unique situation. It's a bad matchup for them. I think Chris Paul, you're not building your team around Chris Paul. You're building around, you're hoping that Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton grow into that thing and that Chris Paul keeps the pressure on them to have to win every single night. But I think they relied too much on him, and it broke him, right? This was DeAndre Ayton's time to, like, show the world why he should be a max player or why Devin Booker was fourth in MVP, and they both laid an A because I think they rely on Chris Paul so much. Uh, I think this summer is going to be good maturity-wise for them to really look at, like, how can we be the one and two, and Chris is a great three. Speaking of declining vets, what the hell happened to James Harden, man? I mean, the dude is a shell of himself. And I, <laughs> I've been really hard on him on this show, and he's an easy target. Yeah. But, but the reason why I, I was so critical of him and his no-shows in so many of these games, really outside of game four against the Heat, he was nowhere to be seen in this postseason, the two series that they played in, 
But when you come into a playoffs and say, I don't feel any pressure personally, that just rubbed me the wrong way because like, dude, what have you done in the playoffs? Yes, you're an MVP. You're a great player. You're going to be in the Hall of Fame. But how do you, how can you really say and look at the camera and say, I don't feel any pressure? Well, sir, you should have felt some pressure because what has this done to, to his legacy? And all of a sudden, he's sort of just like this enigma that nobody wants. And he's got an albatross of a contract. He's going to pick up that option and be making obscene amounts of money next year. I can't make any sense of it. He doesn't get to the rim anymore. He can't create his own shots. I don't know if it's just out of shape, if it's a lack of want to. What, is, what do you see from James Harden? Uh, I think you got to look back. I think we were all enamored uh, with his style of play in Houston. That was a unique situation. But then you look at all the teammates he's had, and it never works out. And I don't think he is an amazing enigma, like you're saying, of a player, almost unguardable during his heyday. People and players get older. You, it has been very rare, very rare for a player to literally tell the world he burns the candle at both ends and for him to keep up the level of play that is required to be an MVP-style guy. Also, he has never learned how to play basketball, I don't want to say correctly, but without the ball. He's never had to be, learn, play like run a set. It's just here, James, give him the ball and then just go. And so what happens is you keep coming into the season out of shape. Then you've got a bad hamstring. Well, that's because you're 20 pounds over shape. And then you're trying to just be 20 years old anymore. And then secondly, what, what you don't really, you know, and here's the honest thing. I've watched a lot of James Harden. I don't remember ever when there was any type of pressure that there was a James Harden moment. And I could be wrong, but never when things got tough were we like, damn, that's a James Harden moment. I can name almost every player, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, LeBron, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. Uh, you can name any of those guys who are like you would say the top 10, top 20 guys in the league. They have a moment where it's do or die, where you go, that is exactly why they are who they are. I don't, I don't remember one. Every series, when it got down to game seven or game six elimination, he just disappears. I just think he's stat-driven, and when it comes to winning or losing, he's like, eh, I've won enough. I'm already top 75. I think, in my honest opinion, I think that ruined a lot of players' uh, attitudes towards what they need to prove or what they don't this year. I don't think you should have, other than guys like LeBron or uh, Kawhi or those type of guys should be on a top 75 list unless you're like elite. That's just my opinion. Yeah. I think they are great, but you could, you could have waited, right? You, you, you know, there's some other guys that are deserving to be on there that actually like have moments in the playoffs where it was like, I, I didn't know they could be better than what they already are. James Harden is never better than what he already is. It's uh, just, it's sad to see, but you know, it's, it's the end of it's, we're, we're, we're on this side of that career. Yeah. Way on that side. Uh, the Bucks got smoked by the Celtics. Celtics at home, closing out that series in Game 7 on Sunday. For the Bucks, do you chalk it up to no Chris Middleton, or, or do they have some more serious Dude. issues when it comes to their rotation, their role players? Grayson Allen probably doesn't deserve to be getting minutes in the conference semifinals, and you have <laughs> no. Brooke Lopez, who's 34 now. Where do you stand with them? I, I mean, this was an absolutely amazing series, right? And 
and yeah, Grayson Allen shouldn't have been there, but that's who you got to play. Uh, Wesley Matthews is still out there, right? Like they're serviceable guys, but you just got to sometimes you just lost to the better team. Like Giannis was gassed. But again, teams, when you're that good, teams are going to adjust during the summertime. They're going to adjust their play styles. When you're the best, teams want to beat you. So if you look, Grant Williams, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Daniel Tice, Al Horford, all those guys are like 6'7 to 6'10, and they're interchangeable. And then you throw in uh, big Robert Williams when he's healthy, right? And then all of those guys, maybe other than Peyton Pritchard, are all interchangeable defensively. Derek White, look at the Mavericks, 6'7 to 6'9, other than Jalen Brunson, all interchangeable defensively. I think what the Bucks have to do is now go to more, they need more guys who aren't just position players, but are interchangeable defensively. And you got to stop running that drop and ice versus teams. It's 2022. Everybody can shoot the three now. That, you're, you're, that defensive thing just really was baffling to me. You're just letting Grant Williams tee it up. I mean, I shot 41% this year, and you're just letting him tee it up? Or what? Switch it. You have, if, if Giannis is a defensive player of the year, what are you worried about? Again, and but yes, this was a great series. Did I agree with some of the coaching strategies all the time? No, but all the players played crazy hard. Boston defensively is flawless, flawless. When they made a mistake, you notice they talked together as a team and they didn't blame at each other. They didn't yell at each other. They looked, this is what we need to do next time. They made the adjustment and they did that. And they wore Giannis down as a team. It's the only way to stop that absolute juggernaut is to wear him down as a team, not as the individuals. And uh, it's going to be a great series between them and the Heat. Um, I'll be interested to see. It's going to be about the others and conditioning. Uh, it's going to be, a, I think this goes seven games. And if Bam can win his matchup defensively, I think he's going to be in a lot of pick and rolls with, with Jason Tatum, but it's going to be, it's going to be great. I'm going to be glued to that series for uh, sure. Last team to get to before we get to those conference finals, Memphis, they gave the Warriors everything they could handle, uh, ultimately losing in game six without Ja. Of the four teams that lost in the conference semis, did they have the highest trajectory moving forward? You know what? I would say <clears throat> yes and no. I would say no, because the Bucs still have Giannis. <laughs> right? So I don't care who you got on your team, it ain't Giannis. Um, but I think to me, they need to really, Memphis really needs to have like a, 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 a self-reflection this summer. Of what do we need to do to be better, right? They have the attitude, they have the, the, the players and the personnel, but they need to start looking at how they could be better individually. Jaron Jackson Jr. is still making stupid mistakes. And I can say stupid because he's not stupid. The fouls he has, he needs to stay on the floor. Some of the shots Dylan Brooks was taking. So again, is that youth or is that just them not being in that opportunity? But they need to look at film. They need to continue what they're doing, but have a sense of humility about it. Um, and keep that aggression and keep that culture attitude. Uh, but I do love Memphis. Um, I think they need to make some personnel adjustments. I would like them to have a little bit more length, me personally. Um, 
and some more shooting. But other than that, I think that team is is really good. And whether they had John or not, they were still one of the best teams in the NBA. So, yeah, build on that. Uh, Celtics Heat, game one of the Eastern Conference Finals in Miami on Tuesday night. The Heat are one and a half point favorites. The series price, though, the Celtics are minus 200. The Heat underdogs at plus 165. Uh, Channing, I went into this, these playoffs and said that Jason Tatum, in my opinion, has the most to gain of any star or superstar um, in the field. He's now dispatched Ooh, KD and the Nets, and he's also now gotten through the Bucks. Um, what has what have these two series done for sort of his perception around the league among players, circles, and how he's viewed? And if we want to start making top five, top ten lists, um, and then the the role players. We talk about Grant Williams, who has become a knockdown shooter. Marcus Smart's development as a as an outside shooter, sure. I think, has been not just where oh he can make one in a pinch like. He's legitimately dangerous from the three-point line now. This right. is a really fun team. He went top to bottom with, you know, how good they are defensively. The role players are there. But but it does feel like Jason Tatum continues to be, uh, you know, the fuel that runs the engine. I'll say this. I think each year we start the year and everyone's like, oh, Jason Tatum for MVP. But then if you notice the beginning of the year, he was shooting those step-back jumpers. He wasn't getting to the rim aggressively. He wasn't making plays. And his maturity kicked in. And then when your maturity meets your, your expectations, which meets your talent, things start happening. And everybody falls in line. Jalen Brown fell in line. Daniel Tice came back. Horford is hitting. Smart is hitting. When you're the most talented player and you play the game the right way, the rest of your team doesn't have to think, right? They just play the game the right way. There's no, there's no you know, uh, chinks in the armor. There's no breaks. And for them, Jason Tatum is, is embracing his talent and his responsibility for being a best player. Jason Tatum is attacking the basket, making plays for other people. He's engaged defensively. If he takes, a, I would say, a contested three one time, he doesn't do that two, three, four times. He values the basketball. And that's what makes him dangerous because they can get stops. And when Jason Tatum is hot, He's not just like, well, he's just going to chuck up threes. You're like, dude, he's attacking the rim. He's hitting the mid-range. He's, he's a three-level player now and also playing the game with his head up, which makes him dangerous because if he gets by his guy, which happens a lot, somebody has to help, and he's making plays. And then you get the swing, swing passes. Now the ball is popping. So I think for him, his maturity has kicked in and his sense of, uh, of urgency and damn, look at this opportunity that we had to be special. And I think Ime Udoka holding him accountable to playing basketball the right way has really, you know, shuffled the cards down correctly. And that's what makes a team dangerous when everybody embraces their role. And you know what you mentioned with James Harden, you know, where he doesn't show up in the big moments. He shrinks in those game six, yeah. game seven, do or die spots. Jason Tatum's already got a handful of signature moments. Uh, that game six comeback in Milwaukee, then certainly uh, you know, game seven, it, it was a blowout. But he's got those under his belt in this series now in a conference finals against the Heat. To me, these teams, to a certain degree, kind of like looking in the mirror where a lot of role players, very complete. There's depth to both rosters. They defend better than almost any team in the NBA. You, know, you look at what Max Struss and the resurgence of Victor Oladipo Tyler Hero coming off the bench, although he hasn't shot the ball great in the postseason. We know how dangerous he is on a given night, can put 25 on your head, no problem. Um, where are the edges here when you look at these two teams and you start looking at how this series might go? 
Man, I think they are very well matched up. I think to me, you go coaches, right? I think Spolstra, I'm going to give Spolstra the edge only because I think Miami is a little bit deeper than Boston. I think Miami it has been to the finals. I think you look at some of the players that are coming off the bench. They are have been previous all-stars, previous, you know, like a Victor Oladipo, like, you know, Tyler Hero, who's starting to, I think he's going to settle down now. Usually that second round is, is tough, especially when you have a good first round. So I'm expecting good stuff out of him. Um, to me, I, I actually give the edge in this series to Boston only because Miami has always and still continues to have these offensive lulls where it's just absolutely hard for them to score uh, the basketball. And for me, defensively, I don't know. Miami's going to run those dribble handoffs. They're going to run those, you know, back cuts, all this stuff. But Boston is a switch five team. So that doesn't really do anything, right? It's like, what, do you, what opportunity? Who is the weak link on Boston's team where Jimmy Butler is going to attack that, right? Maybe not till Peyton Pritchard comes in, but then somebody else is off the bench. Again, where is that, is that crack in the armor that Miami can go at? But I think for Boston, who is going to guard Jalen Brown? I think that's my big thing. Is that Jimmy Butler? Is that... B.J. Tucker, but then who's guarding Jason Tatum? Uh, and then for me, I, I think the youthful energy of Boston um, and the just, I, I think they're a lot more physical than people think. I think, again, I have it for Boston just because Miami goes to offensive lulls, and, but I think it's a good series. So if it went either way, I wouldn't even be mad. You know, you mentioned Coach Spolstra, and I want to move on to the Western Conference Finals, but I love how the narrative has changed around him. And this isn't a new conversation. They were in the finals just a couple right, of years right. ago. But how it was, oh, you inherit LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, and so you're given a title like anybody could coach that team. And now he's legitimately viewed, uh, and deservedly so, as one of the best coaches in the NBA. So it's sort of cool where that dude has uh, been on the rise basically ever since yeah. he became the Heat's head coach. Um, let's discuss the Western Conference Finals before I get you out of here. Warriors at minus 210 on the series price. Huge favorites against the Mavs that are plus 170. Um, game one on Wednesday, Warriors five and a half point favorites at home. Uh, when I look back at the Mavs 2011 team, to me, they were one of the most improbable champions I've ever seen. Especially when the way the Whatever, league is yeah. going, it's a, it's a get to the rim, get to the free throw line type of, uh, and then, you know, the heat talent-wise, far superior. But they defended they rebounded. Their ball rotations were so good. And they flat out made shots. When you Ugh. go down the list of, you know, the Pages, yeah. the Sean Marion's kid, Nowitzki. Uh, they had an elite rim protector, which I think this team does miss a little bit with Tyson Chandler. But there's still some of that narrative with this team where they shouldn't be here when you look at where the rosters are and who they had to go through. But then you say, okay, well, they do have an A1 alpha and Luka. They defend. Like you mentioned, they can switch. A number of guys can cover a, def a bunch of different spots. They have some depth. You've had guys like Maxi Kleber uh, and Dorian Finney-Smith, and it's been a different role player every game to be that 1A or 1B to Luka. And now all of a sudden, it's like, why should we keep doubting this team? And here we are. They're huge underdogs in this series. Um, are you giving them a fighting chance against the Warriors? I'm giving them a fighting chance because they have a 6'9 point guard who is absolutely a terror. He's a terror. He's mean. He talks shit. 
like he's he has his team energized. And here's another chance for Jason Kidd. If you notice, Jason Kidd's thing is it's not necessarily what plays we run. It's who is Golden State going to try to hide. And they're going to probably try to hide Steph a lot. So Luca is going to go hunt Steph over. And, and I think he's going to get the same treatment. I think Steph is better defender than Chris Paul. But still, again, Golden State is really good when you just try to beat your matchup. Where Dallas is amazing is they go, you can't hide this guy from us. We're going to find him. And then once we find him, we're just going to go at him until you got a double team. But then we have shooters. We have guys that want to get to the rim. If you notice, most of the time they play five guys that can shoot, pass, and dribble. And that's dangerous because when you're in rotations, you have cutters, you have passers, you have shooters, and it's hard to guard that. And they take turns for whichever matchup is the best. I think Draymond starts off. Draymond or Clay starts off on on Luka. Uh, And I think Steph guards Dorian Finney-Smith or Bullock. But I think they've been running that screen and roll to try to find Steph. And if you double team them, you're just throwing it to a three-man who can make plays and spray out and finish. So for me, it's about how good Steph can play. And then for Golden State, I actually think it's about Wiggins. I think he has been very consistent for them. Uh, Wiggins and Poole. I think Clay is going to be Clay. I think Steph is going to be Steph. But Wiggins and Poole, if they can continue to give you 17 a night from Wiggins, 15 to 25 a night from Poole, it's going to be hard for Dallas to keep up with that amount of scoring. Uh, but I think those two guys, I mean, Wiggins is going to have a, him and Draymond are going to have to just try and just tag team Luka as much as possible. You can't use one guy to guard him. He's just too big and too strong. And now that he's in elite playoff shape, you know, he could post up both of them. Yeah, it's amazing to watch the Mavs where it does feel like they are able to either get in the paint at will yeah. or at some point rotate the basketball until they have a wide open three. And you think, you think, well, how do they keep doing this? How do they continue possession after possession to get wide open looks? They're and, all guards out there. Yeah. And that, that game against... Guards. That's why. It's like there's... Yeah. That game against the Suns on Sunday, it could have been even worse in the first half with given the, the open it's looks disgusting. that the Mavs were missing. I mean, it, it was well, dude, what, a clinic. And that's the thing, though, is what do you do? Do you let Luka post up and get layups and put your best player in, in foul trouble? Or do you double team and then on the swing passes... You're giving it to your point, your other point guard, Jalen Brunson. So now he's driving on a rotation and then spraying out to guys who are okay shooters. But okay shooters turn to great shooters when they have time. And if you're always in rotations from the beginning of the game to the end, you're exhausted. That's exhausting in a playoff series. And then on the other end, you got to just wait because and like find the right matchup because you're playing against five, three, and D guys. So it's. They're interesting, man. I love watching it. The The coaching here is going to be pretty awesome between Steve Kerr and Jason Kidd. All right. Ultimately, let's get some picks. Who do you think wins? I, I personally I have a Celtic. Back in February, I looked at the Celtics team that was yeah. hovering around 500, and I said, this team is going to be better. They just got Derek White, who I think is an important role player for them. Um, huge, and I, huge. I took them at 25 to 1 to win the finals. And so I'm hoping that Ooh, Boston can continue to go. Bet. 100 bucks to win 2,500. Uh, is is the goal. But I want to hear from you who you think matches up in the finals, who ultimately wins 
uh, the NBA Finals and hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy? Oh, boy. I think it's uh, Golden State, Boston. Uh, and I think this is Boston's year. I think they have, they're, they're energetic. I think they're youthful. They're healthy. Uh, I think they have a chip on their shoulder. And I still think they have an underdog mentality that is underrated, even though they were the best. I still think nobody's like, oh, Boston's going to win. Boston's going to win. But they keep beating teams uh, in a way that is very much in them, right? Like they have another level to go of, of goodness, of greatness that I think we're going to start to see Jason Tatum turn into that, you know, top five guy in the league and Jalen Brown turn into that, you know, that Andre Guadala, you know, finals MVP guy that is just everywhere. And then the others are the others. He is an NBA champion and a host on NBA TV, founder of Chosen Family Wines, co-host of the Road Tripping Podcast with Richard, with Richard Jefferson and Allie Clifton on the Blue Wire Network. He's a busy man. He is Channing Fry. Follow him on Twitter at Channing Fry. Channing, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate all the insight and analysis. And I hope you're right. The Celtics do it. Thanks so much, man. We'll talk to you soon. Awesome stuff there from Channing. Nobody talks hoops better than him. And, and obviously, I'm pretty pumped that he just picked the Celtics to win the finals because I would love to cash that ticket. 25 to 1. I don't think I've ever really cashed like a big futures bet. I've gotten really close on some. And the values looks really cool. They're what? They're plus 180, win the, plus 180 to win the finals. Now I've got plus 2,500. But that value means nothing unless they, they end up winning. I'm debating whether or not to hedge. That decision isn't, hasn't been made yet. All right, let's give away some money. Our bet 50 win $200 promo is still rolling. New WinBet users can receive $200 in free bets after they make their first qualifying deposit and place their first bet on WinBet. Once that bet is settled, you will receive four installments of $50 free bets. Go to winbet.com or download the WinBet app for official rules and details. Winning pick time, I'm three in one in the month of May, plus 1.73 units. I'm going back to the diamond. Little baseball here on a Monday. The Angels at minus 133 against the Rangers. The Angels have been red hot. Uh, and Noah Syndergaard in his contract year here with the Angels signed that one-year deal to go to Southern California. A uh, 2.45 ERA and a 106 whip. He's been tremendous. Hasn't allowed more than three earned runs in any start this season. Conversely, John Gray for the Rangers has been woeful. A 5.51 ERA and a 1.22 whip. The Angels' bats have been absolutely scorching of late. They rank second in baseball with a 120 WRC+. Plus. Um, whether it's Shohei Otani, whether it's Mike Trout, they've got Walsh, they've got Rendon. They have been raking top to bottom. Give me the halos at minus 133 money line against the Rangers. That's going to do it here for this episode of Bet to Win. Huge thanks to Channing Fry for all of his analysis previewing the Eastern Conference Finals and the Western Conference Finals in the NBA as we get closer to those NBA Finals. Uh, this week's show, it won't be on Thursday, it'll be on Wednesday. We're going to be here Wednesday as we preview the PGA Championship that's coming up this weekend. So there's much more to come. Appreciate you joining us here. We'll see you next time right here on Bet to Win.